Welcome to Criminal Thinking Deterred with Tony Moore, where we explore strategies, programs, and people who work to change the destructive thinking that leads to criminal behavior. In this podcast, Tony speaks with Reverend Lynn Litchfield from Grace Inside. She sees offender restoration every day and has plenty of reason for hope. Hello, I'm Tony Moore and welcome to another Criminal Thinking Deterred. Here we talk about how to take responsibilities for your decisions, stop hurting people, begin ministering to others and end the criminal thinking that deters everyone. I'm here with my producer, Philip Day, for another fresh podcast. I'd like to have uh, you meet a wonderful woman and a person involved with the women ministry um, her name is Reverend Lynn Litchfield, and I like to ask, how did you get involved with this type of ministry um, as as a as a reverend uh, with women pr- prisoners? What, what did the, how did that come about? <laughs> That's a great question. I don't think any six year old wakes up in the morning and says, you know, when I grow up, I want to be the chaplain at a maximum security women's prison. But in fact, over time and evolution, I had always felt a call to those who Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, have a view from below. Those people who never see the world from a position of power or privilege or strength. So those folks, Jesus calls the least of these. Mm -hmm. I felt a call to those folks, but I had never really considered people in prison. Um, Do you remember Jeffrey Dahmer? Yes, I do. Dahmer was the cannibal murderer of young boys. When his story broke, I was 19. And we couldn't kind of escape Jeffrey Dahmer's news stories and the jokes about him, stories about him. And I was in seminary when I next heard about him, which was on the occasion of his murder. Mm. And I remember sitting there in seminary, feeling a call to those who have a view from below, those who are the least of these. And I confess to you that not once did I wonder what his life was like on the inside. Not once did I wonder how other inmates were treating him or what his family was going through. Not once did I ever pray for Jeffrey Dahmer. And Mm -hmm. so that got me to thinking that I really was ignoring a whole section of people that were called to visit as the least of these in Matthew 25, visit those in prison. Mm -hmm. I didn't really know what to do with that until I became in need of work. I was working and I wanted to do something different. Um, I was in church ministry and I said, all right, God, I want to go somewhere. You know, wherever you send me, I'll go. Just send me. And the next day I got the advertisement for the job as the new chaplain at the new maximum security women's prison in Virginia. And I was the youngest candidate, and I was the one with the least prison ministry experience. But in God's timing and in God's way, I got selected for the position and spent 11 and a half years serving those ladies in prison. Yes. Well, I see that you represent all the chaplains in the state of Virginia at both males and female facilities uh, for Grace Inside. What does that entail? 
So after I served as a chaplain for 11 and a half years, I was invited to create a new position within the organization. So Virginia is unique in all the United States. We're the only state that has professing Christian chaplains exclusively serving in our prisons. We serve all faiths. We are chaplains. We take care of everybody in every faith group, but we mm -hmm. come from a Christian perspective. Grace Inside has been around since 1920, back when seven Protestant churches got together and they decided they wanted church to be the purview of the church and not the state. So mm -hmm. they easily pooled their resources for the one chaplain at the one state penitentiary. But here we are almost 100 years later, and we place 32 chaplains, soon to be 33, we're excited to be adding a new position, in 35 institutions throughout the state. So now I represent all of the chaplains who serve all of the people who are incarcerated within the Department of Corrections at these 35 major facilities. Mm, 35 major facilities. Wow. Yes, indeed. How many, how, how many of those... Uh, are women and what do you do to serve women in prison, which is a different population altogether? <laughs> yes. Uh, to serve, especially from uh, an emotional and uh, intellectual standpoint of trying to get them rehabilitated. How how does that work? What do you do for that? Okay, so there are about 30,000 inmates in the Department of Corrections system. And of those, um, there are about there are eight additional thousand still sitting in jails waiting to come. So they're under the purview of the DOC, but not on site at a DOC location. So mm -hmm. of those, about 3,500 are female. So the vast majority are male. But you are exactly right. Women represent an entirely different ball game when it comes to corrections. In things like they have more children to come and see them because they often were the primary caregiver of their children. They have more willingness to be engaged in community activities, social activities. Uh, women are more willing to talk and be vulnerable with one another and engage in community. So what we found at Grace Inside is that the need for a chaplain is actually higher at a female mm -hmm. facility than it would be at a male facility. Men are traditionally very protective of their identity inside prison. They don't often want to be seen as vulnerable, so they don't necessarily reach out in the same way that a woman would. So in the facilities in Virginia, there are uh, two work centers, Deerfield and Brunswick, that we staff uh, minimally because they're small institutions. But we do have uh, chaplains at the main three, which are Fluvanna Correctional Center for Women. That's the maximum security women's prison. We have about 1,250 ladies there. We have 500 ladies at Virginia Correctional Center for Women, VCCW, often called Goochland. We have about mm -hmm. 250 ladies at CVCU 13, Central Virginia Correctional Unit number 13 in Chesterfield. So we have those three major facilities, um, and we try to staff them at a higher rate of chaplain hours per capita than we do the men, because we've simply found that they do take advantage of the services. Um, how do you work with women? 
uh, they like to talk. They like to share. They like to connect. They like to build relationship. So we do a number of uh, activities. We do far more group activities, things like um, grief group or recovery groups or trauma groups um, from a religious and spiritual perspective. We'll have baptism class um, at Fluvanna. Until recently, we had handbell choir and praise dance team as well. So the ladies would are engaged in more. So there's more management of more religious activities as well Mm -hmm. as the one-on-one time. So when I was a chaplain, for example, um, I had so many requests to see me that there was often a six week wait. None of my male facilities faced that same challenge because the men just didn't reach out as much in order to accommodate that at a female facility we as chaplains came up with the idea of having lay chaplains, so laity, not professional clergy, Mm -hmm. but they would be trained in the art of pastoral care and listening and reflective listening. And they would come in. And if a woman didn't want to wait the six months, she could be scheduled. And at our, the peak of that lay chaplain program, we had about 28 lay chaplains serving in Fluvanna. So if a woman wanted to wait for me, she could, But if a woman was just in need and she was willing to take the next available lay chaplain, she could be seen that week. Okay. So what are some of the uh, obstacles that for prison working, doing prison work, there's got to be obstacles with a faith-based approach. Uh, You know, I I do AODA and for the therapeutic side of it, they don't give us much because we stay secular and, and, and natural. But when you start to speaking on faith, it starts to bring up other hidden things uh, within a prison session. So how do you face those obstacles? So I think the key role of the chaplain is to build relationship with all faith group leaders. So mm-hmm. at Grace Inside, our chaplains work with everybody. So whether you're Roman Catholic or Jehovah's Witness or Asatrue or Nation of Islam or Muslim, we will be there and serve as your chaplain. While we serve as the Christian pastor on site, we are also working with every tradition trying to build a positive relationship so that they know while we come from our perspective, we will facilitate their having their space to meet. We will facilitate their having their opportunity to gather. So they know that we're not opposed to them. We're not the enemy here. Um, the enemy is far greater than, than a person. And so we want to work to equip you. I used to tease that um, the women could come to me no matter what their faith tradition or lack thereof might be. If you believe in the green sock, you can come and talk to me and we will chat about the holy green thread and how that gets you through. Mm -hmm. But if you want to know what works for me, I have no hesitation in sharing and modeling my life for Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So we have that boundary that we do walk. So we are the Christian pastors on site, but we are also the coordinators and managers of every religious program that takes place in the facility. But because we're chaplains and because we're privately funded, we can be sectarian, which means we can be Christians. So unlike somebody who's in a treatment program, that's a secularly based one where they frown a little bit on you bringing in your religious tradition. Mm -hmm. 
we can bring in our religious tradition and in fact are expected to. Okay. So, so self-disclosure self is one of the, self-disclosure and modeling is one of the, the big pushes that Grace, Grace inside then. Um, that, oh, yes, yes. Okay. We believe firmly that being a Christian presence on ground and living that life will speak far more loudly than anything else we do. And since the vast majority of people who are incarcerated still identify as Christian, so last I looked, it was at least 65% of our incarcerated population still identifies as Christian. Mm -hmm. If that's so, then we believe it's even more important to have a Christian presence day in, day out. And some people say, well, why don't we just have volunteer chaplains? You know, why do we have to have an organization like Grace inside? Well, A, lawsuits. <laughs> the, the Constitution permits and RELUPA, the Religious Land Use and Persons Act, and Virginia has legislated that we have real access to religious resources while in prison. So we do that. And we provide that. If you have a volunteer, you can't count on them in the same way to be there day in, day out. Because most exactly. volunteers don't have 40 hours a week to offer. Exactly. But you keyed in on something. It's the modeling. It's the being there day in, day out, walking beside people that mm -hmm. they can see and learn to trust you. One of the examples I used to give is when I started, you can imagine I was 26 years of age because I've been doing prison ministry for the better part more than two decades. Mm. So I was only 26. I was not a lot older than some of the ladies with whom I was incarcerated. And I was a whole lot younger than a bunch of the ladies um, who I was serving. In that population, I realized that a lot of what I was doing was. I used to think it was reparenting them, teaching them boundaries, guiding them in the way they should go, um, giving them some values, giving them some ethics, giving them a basis of healthy relationships. And how does one deal with your emotions in a healthy way? How does one think through something without reacting in a healthy way? Mm. And then I realized for a lot of these ladies, I wasn't reparenting them. They hadn't been parented to begin with or they wouldn't be there. But that day in, day out modeling and engaging in their lives, you know, people say, but it's just jailhouse religion. You know, people don't really change. They're not really going to be any different. Um, that was not my experience. If you were there day in, day out, and you watch them over time, you absolutely see people transform. You absolutely see people bloom. You absolutely see love and tenderness and care making a powerful transformation in the heart of somebody. And you know, when we affect them, we affect their kids. We affect their family. We affect the generational curses that keep going in these families where incarceration seems to keep popping back up. But if we can get to that parent and create in them a new heart, that new heart will change those around them. Well, let me ask, what was one of your most memorable example of success out of one of your offenders? Oh, great question. So I will tell two stories to answer that question. One is of a lady that has been, is released, and one is of a lady who will never get released. 
Mm -hmm. So the first lady who is released, both women have given me permission to share their stories because I don't ever want to call anybody out. But Debbie was incarcerated for 10 years for accounting issues that came as a result of addicted way of thinking. Debbie came to Fluvanna Correctional Center for Women and had heard about Jesus and had started to learn about Jesus in the jail. But really, when she saw me, who I used to hug everybody, I used to love everybody, she's like, oh, nobody can be like that. She's got to be fake. You know, she can't be real. Nobody really loves us. (laughs) And one of her friends challenged her, almost dared her to come to one of my classes. And so I remember when she first showed up, she showed up with her arms crossed across her chest, kind of looking at me, uh-huh, like you can teach me something. And yet, in three weeks, I had her. I ended up baptizing Debbie. Debbie has been out since 2013. She learned Braille while in prison. Mm. They have a program at Fluvanna teaching some of the women Braille. She now works for the American Publishing House for the Blind in Kentucky. She started her own business, Dot Over Dot, where she employs ex-offender women who have now been released. She will fly to see them. She will set them up with the computer. She will employ them. She's got eight employees. She has five children, all of whom she has reestablished, reconnected relationship with. And she is an active member of her church and an active person of influence in her community, doing the right thing for Jesus because God came to her through the prison experience and transformed her heart. So there's Debbie. She's rock solid. Love her. Mm -hmm. And then there's another young lady named Kelly. Kelly came into the system at 18. Now, Kelly came in at for natural life. She came in at 18 years of age with a five-year-old. So you can imagine that her life has not been an easy one. But she came in and she shares her testimony. I remember her coming into the facility. She's angry. She's rebellious. Doesn't anybody can tell her nothing. She doesn't want to know about anything about Jesus. Well, turns out, that her little daughter got involved in a camp called All God's Children Camp. And that is a camp expressly for children of incarcerated parents. It's volunteer-based. It doesn't cost the children to go. Um, They have a couple of camps over the summer. So her little girl got to go. And when she had a conversation with her daughter on the phone after that camp, her daughter says, Mama, I made a new friend. And she said, Oh, tell me about your new friend, baby. She said, His name is Jesus. And Mm. Kelly went, oh, no, not you too. And so she said, oh, mama. She said, I thought if we couldn't be together in this world, then at least maybe we could be together in the next. Ooh, powerful. Well, that got to Kelly. So she decided she would sign up for one of the programs we facilitate called Kairos. Kairos is a wonderful prison ministry where you come in and do a spiritual retreat inside the prison. So 30 volunteers come in and work with 30 inmates from Thursday night until Sunday afternoon. Now, there are about 200 applications for those 30 slots, but I was the chaplain, and I saw Kelly's application come through, and I knew if anybody needed to be exposed to the amazing, powerful, unending love of Jesus Christ, love of God, the agape love of God, it would be Kelly. Mm -hmm. So I put her in that Kairos event 
And on Thursday, the Kairos folks showed up and she came to the program and they started hugging on her. And she's like, who are these people trying to hug on me? By Friday night, she was thinking, huh, maybe there's something to this. By Saturday afternoon, she gave her life to Jesus Christ. And Mm -hmm. I had the privilege of baptizing Kelly. Now it's been 20 years. Kelly's still in prison. She works with the chaplain's office. She's faithful and trying to do her programs and trying to be a powerful representative of Jesus Christ on the inside, training up the other babies that come into prison, trying to guide them in the way they should go. And she is now also a grandmother because her daughter now has a baby of her own. Mm-hmm. And that daughter and granddaughter are being raised in a Christian home. Now, to me, You can't get any better than that. It was the community of faith working together through all God's children camp, through Kairos, through Grace Inside, that worked together to rescue this family and to bring them into the light of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. What would would you like to share with society as an advocator, the understanding of this population, this prison population, men and women? What is needed? from us to send the spirit forward to them or to aid and assist or what would you like to see society prepare to help these people come home and stay home? Mm. I think we need to do a couple of things. We need to recognize the number one reason people go to prison are drug and alcohol addiction related crimes. So we really need to do a better job addressing addiction issues and treating addiction issues. Warehousing folks has never been shown to work. We need to look at the root causes as a society that lead people towards addiction issues and then address those. So that's a holistic sort of approach. Then number two, um, pieces. We've decided prisons are our mental health institutions. I don't think that's a good way to treat our mentally ill. So as a society, we need to recognize that we've got a lot of mentally ill people serving time in prison and prison may not be the appropriate or best environment for them. I would like for people to extend a heart of compassion, recognizing that most people who are in prison have been victims themselves. I read a study recently that said 44% of those they interviewed at one facility had seen someone get killed. 44% of people in a prison had seen someone get killed. Can, you know, people often say, Ooh, well, you know, their parents were killed in a car accident. Poor child. Wonder what's going to happen to them. I know. Because if people don't get the support and the positive help they need when they are in crisis, the prison ends up being the fail-safe. We catch them in prison unless they're in the morgue. Mm -hmm. So for me, I wish people understood that everybody who goes to prison had help getting there. And help is sometimes good for you, and that help was sometimes awful. I remember a young lady who was 18 years of age and she had been trafficked since she was four that she could remember. She stopped counting men she'd been forced to be with at 250. She came to prison is the first place she was not going to be abused is the first place she was going to find stable environment, not have to have sex with somebody to get a meal. She was in a 
place where she came to me and she said, Chaplain, my best thinking got me here. Please tell me there's something better for me. So I wish people understood on the outside that folks in prison are just people. Mm-hmm. And they are often the underprivileged socioeconomically. They are often the underprivileged or discriminated against by race, by poverty, even sometimes by geographic location. Because as you know, we don't go looking for people who are addicts in the frat houses. We go looking in the hood, right? Mm -hmm. Even that changes who we have in our prison population. What's the difference between somebody at Nottaway Correctional Center and somebody at Betty Ford? Resources. Resources. So I wish the outside world had more compassion for people who are in prison because uh, with one out of every 82 Virginians under the supervision of the Department of Corrections, most of us know somebody who's been impacted by incarceration. Mm -hmm. It is in our best interest to impact their lives while they are in prison so that when they get out, they have connections They have a value system. They have more self-esteem. They hopefully have addressed the issues of grief or anger or uh, learn the skills they need to learn in terms of criminal thinking, deterred, um, in terms of learning how to have healthy and maintain healthy relationships so that they have a chance to re-enter and be successful. We need grace outside. Yes. (laughs) We need grace inside and grace outside for those inside. You got that right. When you're you're talking about change, I think a lot of our society doesn't process the belief that change is possible when it comes from maladaptive behavior going in and suffering the consequences of prison and then getting out. People don't tend to think that people are capable of transforming inside and coming home a new person so there's no aid and assistance uh, to help them to continue the process of that transformation on the outside. I would 100% agree with you. When I come to speak to people, again, back to that, it's just jailhouse religion. People don't really change. And I have to ask a question in response to that. And again, most of the people that I speak to are Christians. And so my job is to help dismantle the obstacles to compassion for people who are incarcerated. So I ask them, do you as a Christian believe that Jesus changes lives? Mm. If you do, why wouldn't Jesus change 30,000 of the most desperate people we've got in the state of Virginia? Yes. yes. People don't change until the pain of change looks better than the pain of being where they are. I got 30,000 people who are in tremendous pain being where they are. We want them to have access to a model and a belief system and a core set of values that will help them. And so when they're looking to change, we want them to have something to change too. And I had a front row seat for 11 and a half years to some of the most powerful transformation Jesus Christ made possible. I was in prison yesterday with uh, the geriatric facility in Virginia. And I met Chris. Chris gave his life to Jesus just three weeks ago. Just 
three weeks ago. He is 34 years of age, a former five-star general with the Bloods, and he is in prison suffering at 34 with mus uh, MS, muscular sclerosis. Mm -hmm. So multiple sclerosis. He is confined to a wheelchair. He is struggling. But you watch him and his story is, I need to tell the kids to leave that life alone. I need to tell the kids, leave that life alone. Mm -hmm. He wants his meaning and purpose to be somehow to help other kids not follow his path. Now, you want to tell me that God doesn't change hearts? From a guy that would have, I'm sure, thought nothing of killing someone to a guy that wants to prevent kids from getting involved in a lifestyle that will steal their lives? Yes. That's transformation. Yes. I experienced uh, firsthand in prison facing 40 years. Mm. And my daughter walks into prison and she asks me the, the ultimate question, daddy, how come you can't take care of me? And of all the treatment I had been into prior to seven times, I did five, I did 18 years prior to that and five or seven treatment facilities I had been in, that moment transformed me because it made me break to my knees and ask God, what did I need to do? And in that walking around the yard, and praying and asking, what would I, what, what would I going to tell this little girl? It says, you cannot take care of a little girl if you can't take care of yourself. And I'm the only one that can take care of both of you. And mm. from that moment to this moment, uh, 25 years later, that is still the conversation I have with myself. Take care of yourself and God will take care of the rest. In God, take care of yourself. So I understand that transformation, especially from uh, uh, transforming the, the thinking and the behavior part of it. Because if the behavior don't line up, you can still think bad. It's that, it's that conversation. It doesn't matter what goes in, it what comes out. Yes. And when, it gets, when it gets in, you better have enough in you to say, well, I'm not going to do that whether I want to do it or not. I'm not going back to jail. So Amen. as an ex-offender, you say to yourself, it doesn't matter. I know what I need to do to walk the right way, even if I sometimes don't have the right thoughts. The action is going to be what's going to matter. And the criminal thinking, for me, the criminal thinking deterred, it helps me to understand that every thought I got to call into captivity, and before it becomes an action, I got to do the right thing with that action to either bless the world or bless myself with what I'm going to do next. So I appreciate your conversation. I appreciate everything that Grace Inside has done. Um, can you give us your information so that we can have it and, and to our audience? Absolutely. So you can find us on Facebook at Grace Inside, one word. You can find us on the web at www.graceinside.org. We are privately funded by people who believe in having a Christian chaplain inside. So if you would like to support us, you can find a place to do that on our website. Um, if you would like to email us, you can find us at uh, mail at graceinside.org. And we'd love to hear from you.
Also, I'm available to come and preach at your church if you're interested. All right. All right. You've been watching Criminal Thinking Deterred. If you like more information, please contact me, Tony Moore, at Moore & Associates Incorporated at 262-605-1444 or email me at moreandassociates.biz and we offer assessments, intensive outpatient, aftercare, AODA treatment, gain prevention, and other services as needed. And we'd like to thank you for joining us. And please remember, God designed you for a purpose, to serve him and others. And you must continue to be blessed. Thank you very much. God bless. This episode of Criminal Thinking Deterred was sponsored by Moore & Associates in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Call us at 262-605-1444 or email tmore at moreandassociates.biz. Moore & Associates offers assessments, intensive outpatient, aftercare, alcohol and drug abuse addiction treatment, gang prevention, and other services. Tony is also available for speaking engagements and professional consultations. Come back soon for our next episode, and please remember, lifestyle changes begin in the mind. Just as the odds had once betrayed